This episode might hit home. So if you're a parent, I want you to stay with me. That's all I ask. It might get darker before it gets better. We're going to talk about some really difficult realities today, and I want us all to remember that health, any kind of health, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, professional, it all takes discipline and full responsibility. No one gets healthier without participating in the process. Welcome to the Vanessa Londino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Londino. So I'm just going to dangle this out there and then we're going to get down to business. We are looking at a name change for this podcast. For a while, it's been the Vanessa Londino podcast. And part of that was I didn't know what to call it. And that seemed like the most obvious choice. But I'm dangling this out there. Be ready. We're going to launch this in sort of a different direction coming soon. Same content. Okay. Same voice that you've come to know and trust. um, And I love you for it. But we're going to get a little bit more specific about what this podcast is about in the next couple of weeks. So welcome. Again, huge shout out to my people in Australia and Hungary. By the way, last week when I recorded the podcast, I kept saying Hungary. (laughs) I'm sorry. It just kind of rhymed with Australia. So I said Australia and Hungary. Jared was kind of like Hungary. So we had to catch it. Anyway, Australia, Hungary, you are still the international countries coming in second, but now Germany and Canada, you're closing in. So welcome to this community, brothers and sisters in Germany and Canada and everywhere else around the world. It's so good to be able to speak to you and connect with you on issues of mental health and healing. And that's the important word. Okay, mental health means nothing if we don't know how to heal from the wounds that have caused our mental and emotional distress. So we're not about managing symptoms. Okay, we're not going to teach you how to live with mental disorders for the rest of your life like it's a curse. Healing is possible. Love is the way. All right. Like I said in the intro, today's episode is going to hit home, but I think it's necessary and I'm going to say what I need to say and what I want to say to you with as much gentleness and respect as I have in my heart, which is a huge amount. But there are some truths that we need to look at. You know, when it comes to mental health, it is hard (laughs) to admit what we do and what we think and what we feel and what our motives are, because more often than not, and this is not necessarily the case in physical health, our thoughts and our feelings are connected to our sense of identity. And that's a really important thing because it's who we are. Okay. So very often we don't get physically ill and then feel like we're failures, right? Most of the time, if we get sick, we sort of accept that the body is vulnerable. The physical body is vulnerable. Sometimes our immune systems fail. Sometimes organisms more powerful than our ability to fight them off win out. Okay, we all went through COVID. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably got COVID, right? Your immune system faltered, failed, got the virus, built the antibodies, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but we don't take it personally. We don't feel like it's a mental or moral failure if we get sick. Maybe some of you did, but you really don't need to. Sometimes those little viruses and buggers are more powerful than our immune systems. Okay, we don't identify with it. And if you did, please get help. That's not normal. That's not healthy. But when it comes to our thoughts and feelings, which drive our actions, our essential self is now involved. 
And this is why it's so hard to take responsibility for ourselves because we see mental or emotional failures as personal, existential human failure. And there is, here's the thing, this is why this episode is going to be hard. There is some truth in that. And I could do a podcast, and I probably should, on how to process your failures in a way that won't defeat you. Because failure is hard. It's also part of life. It's part of the human experience. We all have to learn how to fail. But when it comes to parenting failures, we want to keep that. And the parents that I counsel and the parents that I know very often want to keep that 100 yards away from us. If you're in Europe or if you're anywhere else but the United States, 100 meters away from you. But it's still part of reality. At some point or another, we will all make unkind, unloving, unhealthy, untrustworthy, inappropriate, or damaging choices in our relationships. And the parent-child relationship is no different. Okay, so if you're with me so far, good. Stay with me. For those of you listening who follow this podcast, you know, because you hear me say this probably at least once a week, that I emphasize personal accountability as the cornerstone of mental health. Why? Because ultimately, your mental health, regardless of the childhood that you had, your mental health is going to come down to the decisions you make every day, the people you spend time with, how you use your time, the boundaries that you have. Are the people around you healthy or not? Do they love you? Are they toxic? This is going to impact your mental and emotional health in an enormous way. Okay, so your choices, your ability to make choices about what is healthy for you and what is not just sits right at the cornerstone of mental health. So why an episode about the role and impact of parenting? Shouldn't we just move on? Shouldn't we just take responsibility and get over it? Not if we want to heal. Friends, I titled this episode The Imprint. And it is so much more than an imprint that our parents have on us when we're children. Imprint is a nice word for it. It is actually chiseling in stone. Yeah, but Vanessa, you can change. Yes, you can. But it is about as hard to change that imprint as it is to sand down stone and rewrite words in it. I'm just being honest with you. I am being honest with you. If you have done any therapy whatsoever, if you are being halfway honest with yourself in your life at all, you will know that the way you were raised, the interactions you had with your parents day after day after day for likely 18 or 19 years, daily interactions with these people formed you. Yeah, but nature, nurture, isn't it half nurture? Isn't it half nature? I don't know what the divide is. I don't know if it's 70, 30, 80, 20. I know this. Nurture matters. Yes, you had a personality, but your parents' ability to interact with your personality in a way that helped you grow, that helped you feel safe, that developed your skills and talents in the world, that pointed you in a direction, not only toward a life that you would enjoy, but toward yourself. Did your parents help you know yourself? All of that comes down to nature. So we can't avoid this if we want to heal. And you know, my one of my clients on Friday, I don't think she'll mind if I said this. 
She said, how do you do this? Like week after week, how do you come up with this much content? And I said, you all are my inspiration. It's because I'm a therapist. I'm a working therapist. I'm in the therapy room five days a week doing therapy. You inspire me. My clients are my inspiration. And very often I might take a segment of a session and expand on that in a podcast. This podcast is coming out of more of a trend that I'm seeing. Okay. And the trend is, and I get it. I don't want to talk about my parents anymore. Or I feel guilty talking about my parents or my parents tried their best or my parents did their best and I had a happy child. I hear it often, very often from people who are new to therapy because they don't know the value of exploring this and to explore the pain in the parent-child relationship feels disloyal. It feels like they're betraying their parents, you know, after everything they did for me, how could I? Okay, they're betraying, they're disloyal. They feel guilty, like, oh, if my parents knew what I was talking about in here, like they're going to get into trouble. And part of what we have to work through in the therapeutic encounter is it's not about, and I'm going to say a lot about this today, it's not about blaming your parents. It's not about that. It's about owning your emotions. Friends, you cannot heal if you will not feel. I didn't invent this. I did not come up with the idea of human beings. I'm just telling you that's how it is. That's how we work. You cannot heal what you will not feel. And if we had interactions with our parents, and we have millions of them, millions of them across 18 years, some of them may have been painful. Some of them may have been quite painful. I hope many of them were pleasant. But some of them may have been confusing. Some of them may have been disappointing. Some may have been downright terrifying or crushing or violating or shaming. And in order to heal, we have to feel those emotions. And in order to feel those emotions, we have to process what happened. And in order to process what happened, we have to talk about the dynamic between our parents and ourselves. And we need to talk about this until it's healed. Some of the hardest clients, the hardest family systems to work with are those entrenched in the denial of the happy childhood. I had a happy childhood. Everything was perfect every day in every way. My parents never did me wrong. My parents never failed me. My parents never withheld information from me that I needed. My parents gave me every single thing I needed to be set up for adult life. Everything was perfect. Okay, maybe your parents didn't wound you, but did they prepare you? Because that is also a failure of parenting. And I'm going to say more about this. All you parents out there, that's why I was like, please stay with me. Well, Jesus, Vanessa, we can't do everything right. No, you cannot. And that's the point. Don't act like you can. That is an unrealistic expectation. I can't work with families in denial. I can't. Now, I can help them come out of denial, but if they're entrenched in it, if they are emotionally attached to the identity of happy childhood, happy family life, happy, 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 I, I can't work with them. And also, if that's true, why are we in therapy? Why are the kids faltering? Where is the unmet need? Where's the pain? 
because there's some pain involved in your worldview, in how you think the world should work, in how you thought the world was going to work for you and it didn't. There's pain. That's what brings us to therapy. We have to deal with this dynamic. Let's talk about unmet needs, okay? Because this is a big area between the parent-child relationship. Really what you're talking about are the needs of the child and the ability or inability of the parents to meet those needs. So let's talk about unmet needs. Human beings have a million needs. I mean, it's not a million. It's probably hundreds. But we do. We are needy, needy creatures. I love when people are like, I don't want to be needy. I'm like, sorry, too late. You have a pulse. You're needy. We're all needy. Okay, we have all kinds of emotional needs and physical needs and mental needs and intellectual needs and sexual needs and spiritual needs and professional needs and da 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 da. Okay, it goes on and on and on and on. We are complex and we have so many needs. And this is why I want to say this, parents, it is actually insane to imagine that two people, two parents can meet all of the needs of a human being. That's why we say it takes a village, right? The best parents I've seen in therapy that I've known, that I've had the pleasure of watching parent their children. One of my friends comes to mind, Hillary. It is a joy to watch her parent her children. She has brought me to tears on more than one occasion, watching her treat those children with the empathy and the respect, but the structure and stability of a parent. She holds both And I know it's not easy, but she holds both in a way. It doesn't look effortless. It looks like it takes effort. It just looks like there's skill. Structure on one hand, warmth, empathy, kindness, relatability, humor, playfulness on the other. It's really a wonder to behold. But the best parents I've known and seen have two things going for them, okay? The first is they want to meet every need in their children. The desire is there. They might try and fail, but the desire is there. And two, and this is absolutely awesome when it happens, they've done their work. And by doing their work, meaning healing work, exactly what we're talking about, processing, facing reality, talking about their histories, knowing themselves, developing self-awareness, when they do that work, they're actually able to meet so many of the emotional needs in their kids because they themselves are alive. They're awake. They're aware. And that means they're accessible. So many of the wounds we have as children are because our parents were not emotionally or mentally accessible to us. Why? Because the barriers they had within themselves to cope with their own pain were not taken down. And I'll say more about this later, but that does give us a lot of compassion for them, doesn't it? They had wounds. They had their own tricky lives, their own adolescent journeys, their own tricky parents, maybe dysfunctional or even abusive parents. Okay, so they had coping mechanisms, but when parents do their own work, they get to know the them, the the person, better said, underneath those coping mechanisms, and they parent from the true self. Now you're meeting needs. But let's be honest, many parents see themselves and they want to see themselves as wanting to meet their children's needs in theory, because to say otherwise would just be downright cold. And they don't want to seem that way in their own eyes. They don't want to see themselves as, well, I should want to meet all of my child's needs, but in reality, I don't. But so often, parents avoid emotional needs. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fathers and the mothers 
They all do this who shake their heads and withdraw when their children become teenagers. And I'm going to be specific about this, primarily the girls, because girls have a robust, okay, let's say it this way, a robust emotional life when they become teenagers, right? But here's the deal. You can't tell me that you're interested in meeting that child's emotional needs as the primary adults in their life if you're withdrawing. And dads, I want to talk to you because a lot of fathers withdraw from daughters when they hit adolescence. Oh, they're so emotional. Oh, they must be on their period. Hang on. You are not interested in meeting her emotional needs if you're pulling away. You are not. Well, Vanessa, no, 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 no. We look at your actions, not your words. We look at your actions, not your intentions. You are not interested in her emotional needs if you are withdrawing. Now, you want to be her everything. You want your kids to adore you. You want your kids to look up to you and Very importantly, you want your kids to trust you, but you are abandoning them at a developmental stage when they need you desperately. Yeah, but they fight and they are. Yes, they do. It's called adolescence. It's called adolescence. That is the time in children's lives where they need to be taught about their worth, their value, how to engage socially, how to develop responsibility, the productive energy they bring to the community. They need to get a job if they can do it. So many more needs, but we withdraw. Why? Because they're difficult. Okay, then don't lie to yourself and don't lie to your children and say, well, I'm interested in meeting all of their needs. No, you're not. You're interested in meeting the needs you can connect to, but that doesn't mean that's all the needs they have. These are parents who shut down conversations because they don't know how to engage with the content their kids are bringing them. And it's usually because the kids are bringing something dark or painful, brokenness, complexity. And maybe it's because I live in the South. And in the South, we want to sugarcoat everything. But these parents want to make everything pretty or bright or positive again. And it's just a coat of sugar on everything. And what that usually means is they've not done their own work on their own brokenness. So they can't feel it in themselves. So they shut it down in their kids. And everybody's supposed to be happy all the time. And again, if you don't live in the South, you're probably shaking your head. Well, I don't I don't think it's like that. Okay, well, for you in the South that are listening to this podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And parents, I want to say this with respect, but with direct truth, you are not interested in meeting your child's need for safety, community or resolution. If you do this, they need you to engage, but I can't then get some help. Because otherwise, your need for denial is what you are meeting through your own child. You've heard me quote this book a million times, and I'm going to quote it a million times because still today, I've read so many books on mental health. This still stands as like a bastion of light. Okay, the road less traveled. And maybe it's because, you know, at 23 years old, my parents loved me. You know, I've talked a lot about my parents on this podcast, but a lot of the healing that I had to go through in my life, I did alone. My family didn't support me. My parents have never owned me. My mom's been gone for a long time, but neither of them ever owned, alive or dead, any of their failures. I mean, I could count on one hand the number of times my parents have apologized to me. I'm 45. (laughs) You haven't done something worth more than five apologies in 45 years. It's just the culture. It was the culture. It was that generation. So when I was I was living in Europe and I was performing over there, this is before I became a therapist. I was an actress and I was in West Side Story and I played Maria in the European tour. And it was kind of an interesting experience on a lot of levels. But 
I remember driving across Germany on tour, driving across like castles and the beautiful countryside of Germany and into the Netherlands and through the Czech Republic before we got to Germany. It was a beautiful trip all around Europe, um, Eastern, Central, and then Western Europe. And I was reading The Road Less Traveled for a lot of that first part of the trip. And I remember feeling like finally in my life, I was being parented. It's like M. Scott Peck became my father. It's like every bit of wisdom and truth and direction I never got. I was not prepared. I got from Scott Peck. So I'm eternally grateful. But the imprint of this book on me was deep. So I quote it a lot because I go back to it a lot. The wisdom still stands. It holds up. Here's a quote. Some parents have exhausted their own resourcefulness in trying to help their children and come to the psychotherapist with a genuine willingness to work on the problem. Others, as often as not, come with the overt knowledge of the cause of their child's problem, hoping the psychiatrist or psychotherapist will be able to do some magical something to change the child without having to change the basic cause of the problem. For instance, some parents will openly say, we know that we have a problem in our marriage and that this likely has something to do with our son's problem. Nevertheless, we don't want to work on our marriage. We don't want our marriage tampered with. We do not want you to do therapy with us. We just want you to work with our son, if possible, to help him be happier. Others are less open. They will come professing a willingness to do anything that's necessary, but when it is explained to them that their child's symptoms are an expression of his resentment toward their whole lifestyle, which leaves no real room for his nurture, they will say, it is ridiculous to think we should turn ourselves inside out for him, and they will depart and look for another psychiatrist who might offer them a painless shortcut, end quote. My friends... As your friendly neighborhood psychotherapist, I am telling you this is truth. It is truth. Fix our kid. Well, wait, can we talk about your marriage? No. Can we talk about your coping mechanisms? No. Well, can we talk about the dynamic that you're creating in the home? No. Are you going to do anything about it? No. But fix our kid. <sighs> it ain't easy. What does that mean? It means I have to look at a kid and I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to separate them from their parents. I'm not going to sow seeds of disdain or hatred for their parents. But I am going to say, I think you live in an environment where it's not likely that you're going to be validated. Or I think you live in an environment where it's not likely that you're going to find the structure that you need to feel stable. And you know what? I will tell you, my Clients, and I don't see a lot of teenagers, but my clients who are teenagers will look at me with relief. Why? Because all of a sudden someone is speaking truth and their little world makes sense. But I'm here to tell you, parents, it would be so much more healing if it would come from you. (laughs) I'm going to say more about this later, but it would be bonding. It would heal the family if it would come from the parents. But the reality is this. Many parents are not interested in meeting their children's needs. Because when they are presented with the dysfunction, with the observation from a skilled, loving, observant, invested therapist or psychiatrist, whoever it is, they don't do anything about it. Yeah, I do that. Okay, then just admit to yourself, you are not interested in being part of what heals your child. You are not interested. You may find it intellectually interesting, but you are not interested in changing anything to get your family to a healthier place. Happens all 
the time. And this is the greatest wound for a child. Because there's nothing they can do about it. It is on the parents to create a nurturing, healing, helpful, loving environment for their kids. And very often, Scott Peck is dead on. They will come to therapy and they know exactly what's wrong and they will not fix it. Or they find out what's wrong and they will not fix it. Just fix our kid. And we're willing to pay for it. I mean, it's really kind of incredible. What happens to the child? The child denies their own needs. Okay, they don't say, well, I have this need, but it doesn't seem like my parents can meet it. No, they will deny their own need. And then when we deny our own needs, that creates a deficit. And what do we do with deficits? We develop coping mechanisms to make up for the deficit of the need not getting met. And coping mechanisms are, in general, disastrous for the long haul. And so when the child becomes an adult and their lives fall apart, they blame themselves when the life goes down the toilet because of their coping mechanisms, which are disastrous, because there was a deficit and an unmet need that never went acknowledged. Not only did the need not get met, the need was not acknowledged. And it would be so much better. It would be so much healthier if parents would just say, I don't know how to connect with you in this way. Or I don't know how to meet this need, sweetheart. I don't know how. But the need is normal. It's healthy. And I'm going to try my best to learn how. And I'll probably fail on some level. But I want you to know I'm trying. Why would they do that? Because you are the parent. Or they are the parent. It's on them It's on you to try and fail, but at least try. But like I said, most parents who deny the need or deny the solution are not interested in meeting their child's needs. They are interested in seeing themselves as good parents. Most parents act as if they tried. What do I mean? Well, we did our best. And when parents deny the need because they can't meet it, they blame the kid. You're too sensitive. You're thinking too much. You're overthinking this. You're too much. You're too needy. You should just be grateful. I remember when I read this sentence in The Road Less Traveled, it was like something in me healed that day. I think I was 23 years old. Talk about an imprint. This is a quote from the book. Quote, I have heard parents tell their adolescent children, in all seriousness, you think too much. What an absurdity this is, given the fact that it is our frontal lobes, our capacity to think and to examine ourselves, that most makes us human. Man, when I read that sentence, something in me healed. Why? Because Peck is a psychiatrist. He wrote a book. It was by that time, of course, an international bestseller. And he's a father. And I thought, okay, if you would not say this to your kids, maybe nobody should have said that to me. And maybe nobody should be saying it to you. Maybe nobody should have said that to you. You're too much. You're too needy. You think too much. Well, damn it. You're human. You have needs. Now, part of what brings about healing a wound is the acknowledgement of it and an apology for sure. But the other part of what brings about healing is compassion and forgiveness. And that has its place. But I will tell you, it's a heck of a lot easier to have compassion and forgive someone when they acknowledge what they've done wrong and apologize for it. One of the hardest journeys a human being will ever undergo 
is having to develop compassion and forgive someone where there is no acknowledgement and no apology. It's possible. It's hard. I have many clients. Over the years, I've had hundreds, probably thousands at this point. Most of my clients are parents. All of my clients are children of parents, okay? And nothing brings parenting into better focus than becoming a parent yourself, right? All of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, this is what my parents went through. So that alone might bring a sense of compassion through empathy. And that might cause us to lean into forgiveness more than we would otherwise. However, however, for clients who really dig in deep, they get into their work, into their feelings, into their experiences, eventually the fact that they are parents, and this has been my observation, it actually becomes almost irrelevant. In fact, some of them become more incensed and more enraged at what their parents did because they would never, they cannot imagine doing that to their children. So now there's a stark contrast between their love and respect and how they treat their children and their parents' treatment of them. It becomes even more pronounced. Does becoming a parent give you compassion and empathy? I am 100% certain. However, does it raise even more questions around why parents did what they did? Yes, it does. So I want to talk a little bit about the resistance to therapy. Okay, the resistance to healing. I don't want to talk about my parents. I don't want to blame them. And, and we make it sound like it's a really bad thing. Like, I don't want to be a victim. It's not my parents' fault. Okay, right. It's your responsibility now. But if it's not your parents' responsibility for how you were raised, whose is it? I've never heard a, a reasonable answer to that question. If the imprint, there it is, that word, that was put on you and in you by your caregiver's treatment of you, if that is not the responsibility of the caregiver, whose is it? Because that imprint stays with you your whole life. And if it's good, great. If it is not, if it was harmful, you're going to have to heal from that. And that will take you a lifetime. Well, Vanessa, it doesn't really need to take a lifetime. Somebody recently said, I mean, anyway, let's just suffice it to say someone who knows my story in my family system, this was not a friend. I do not have friends who talk to me like this, but someone in my family system recently said, just get over it. And I was like, thank you. Thank you for that advice. I don't know why I never thought of that before. I'll just get over it. <laughs> we have to get comfortable talking about our experiences. And what does that do for the child? It matures the adult child. When children are little, their parents are everything. I remember just thinking my mother could do no wrong and she couldn't. My gosh, I was six. I was like obsessed with her. I loved her. And I would trot along after my father sort of clamoring to get his attention. I never really did. But my mom and I were like obsessed with each other. I was her baby out of four. I was her last baby that she was ever going to have. And she was my mom. And I was kind of her favorite. Like we were very, very, very close. And I never saw anything wrong with her. Why? Because I was like six or seven. But sure enough, when I got into adolescence, I started realizing some things are not really adding up. And I would confront it. Never got an apology. Was never even acknowledged. No, 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 no. It was all denial. Okay. Now, for everything my mother did right, and she did plenty, right? That was one of the biggest mistakes she made with me. Why? And I'm going to say a lot about this today, because she disrupted the trust. I realized very early on, I could not trust her. 
And I had to deal with that as an adult. So part of what allows us to mature is when we start to see our parents not as gods, not as flawless lovers of all children and humankind, but human beings, broken. And I hear this all the time in the therapeutic hour. I don't want to talk about my mom anymore. I don't want to talk about my dad anymore. I relate. I don't either. But if it comes up, we need to talk about it. Why is this important? Again, parents are everything to their children. When they're young, there's nothing else. They form your whole world. The house they put you in is your home. The room they set up for you is your corner of your little universe. Everything comes from them. And by and large, I hear and observe parents who want the following to be true, okay? They want the importance and the place of prominence and centrality in their children's lives. They want their kids to trust them. They want influence over their children. Oh, my kids don't listen to me. There's frustration when they don't have that place, right? But if you want that place of prominence and centrality and importance in your kids' lives throughout their life, you want to be trusted. You want that sacred role of a beloved parent. Then you have to take the responsibility for the pain you cause, from this centralized and all-important position. Things are going to go wrong in the relationship. You can't cut it both ways. Parents can't desire and even demand adoring, trusting, devoted children and yet not take full and complete responsibility for the impact of that role. This is like a general or a military commander. Okay, somebody who has authority over others saying, I'm in charge. You need to trust me. Okay. Do as I say. But if you get wounded or killed or something goes wrong, it's not me. It's not on me. I have no responsibility. This is narcissistic parenting. I want all of the glory for what I did and none of the responsibility for what I may have done that wounded or harmed my children. If they came out good, it's my parenting. If they are disobedient, reckless, lost, adrift, or downright awful people, well, we did the best we could and you can't control everything and kids have their own free will, etc. We've all heard this. You can't have it both ways. If you want that central role of importance and you want kids that are devoted to you, of course you do, who love you, then the flip side of that is you have to take complete responsibility for your impact in that role, good and bad. The relationship has to exist in reality, okay? I debated this week between doing the imprint or the importance of objective truth, and that one is coming. But I'm just sort of aware that we're living in a world where like objective reality is slipping away from us and we're all being asked to believe delusional things. We cannot. Mental health has to be in reality. For anyone to trust anyone, we have to be dealing in reality, in truth, in real life. And when parents say they did their best, right, and they didn't, or when they dismiss and write off their children's needs or their children's complaints, the child, whether it's in childhood or adulthood, will not trust their parents and the relationship breaks down. And there is no intimacy and there's not real attachment. And you can still have family gatherings where everybody's happy, clappy and gets along because nobody wants to deal with the consequences of a family showdown. But that is not real relationship. That is not intimacy. Here's a quote from the book. Honestly, this is maybe the best parenting book I've ever read. And I've read a lot of them. Quote, 
Of the myriad lies that people often tell themselves, two of the most common, potent, and destructive are, we really love our children, or our parents really loved us. It may be, this is still the quote, it may be that our parents did love us and we do love our children, but when it is not the case, people often go to extraordinary lengths to avoid the realization I frequently refer to psychotherapy as the truth game or the honesty game because its business is, among other things, to help patients confront such lies. One of the roots of mental illness is invariably an interlocking system of lies we have been told and lies we have told ourselves. These roots can be uncovered and excised only in an atmosphere of utter honesty. To create this atmosphere, it is essential for therapists to bring to their relationships with patients a total capacity for openness and truthfulness. And if you're listening to this and you're a therapist, this is why you have to do your work. Because you will block everything in the session that you have not dealt with yourself. It's the same principle as parenting. When you do your work, the relationship flourishes. What can children expect in the parent-child relationship? They can expect care. I mean, that's part of it. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. It's a bold truth, but it is what it is. Children do not ask to be born. They need not beg for their needs to be met. Nor should they be blamed when they need what they legitimately need. They did not ask to be born. You decided to have them. Whether you decided to have sex, or you decided to inseminate. In very rare cases, children are born out of rape. Very rare. Actually, I had a therapist who was born out of a rape, which was very interesting. But most of the time, kids are here because you decided to bring them into the world. Okay? So the expectations that a child has of their parents are big, and they are right. And they are care, right? Sustenance, shelter, protection, medical care when needed. Love, affection, affinity, belonging, compassion, empathy, validation, all the things that go into a loving exchange. And direction, sharing wisdom, sharing lessons, modeling dignified behavior, modeling how to be an adult. That's what children can expect. Now, parents out there, you're walking on the treadmill, you're walking on the trail, you're cooking dinner, you're in your car, what the hell does she know about my parenting? Well, I don't know you. But I know kids and I know parents and I know therapy and I think I know psychology. And if that list sort of makes you shrink back, I want you to talk about it. I want you to get help with it. You are up to this. You can do this. But the first thing you have to do is face yourself. The first thing you have to do is know yourself. There is a difference between blame and accountability. Blaming is assigning someone fault. Now, is there a place for blame in the psychotherapeutic ex exploration of the parent-child relationship? Probably. I mean, if a child was brutalized or traumatized by abuse, that is the parent's fault. If the parent did it, it's their fault. But there's another layer here of accountability, which is holding someone responsible for what is their responsibility. And parents, hear me, you are accountable because you are responsible. 
The developmental years of children are particularly vulnerable. Why? Because they can't fend for themselves and they don't have a fully formed brain. They're taking every cue about relationship, the world, how the world works from their parents, their caregivers. You're teaching them the way the world works by how you treat them predominantly. Most of what children will learn about how the world works and how relationship works comes from how they're treated, not what they're taught. It's the relationship that teaches them everything. So the quality of the relationship is everything. You know, the developmental years feature the emergence of personality, and that's a fragile, precious process. We may not know how to interact with the introverted child if we're extroverted. I watched that with my parents, with my third sibling. They had no idea what to do with her. She was very introverted. She was pushed, pushed, pushed. Why aren't you flirting with boys? Literally, say, my mother, you know, trying to speak English in her broken English. Ay, Sandrita, why'd you don't save some room for flirt? <laughs> save some room for flirt. She was trying to say, why are you not flirting with boys? She was an introvert. She actually wound up not being attracted to men. I mean, it's a long story, but they didn't know how to interact with her. My oldest sister is the most free-willed, strong-willed person I think I've ever met in my life. I don't think they knew how to react with that either. I was deep and emotional and artistic. They didn't know how to. Now, okay, it's generational. Have I forgiven them? I sure have. But nothing was ever acknowledged. And we're going to talk about that right now. Okay, so before we get to that, I want to say for folks in therapy, you need to keep talking and you need to keep processing. I'm right there with you. I get sick of it too. And I don't get sick of hearing it. I get sick of doing it. Okay, I'm getting tired of talking about the imprint of my own parents. I get it, but it's too deep and it's too important and it's too real to act, which is a false presentation to act as though it's not that important. If the memory is there, process it. If the connection is there, you need to process it. The goal is not hatred. The goal is healing. But now let's talk about parents. How do you engage with this parent-child reality, which is they have all these needs, and I can't surely meet them all, but my husband can't, my wife can't, the parents can't. How do we do this? Okay, first, take total and complete responsibility for the role that you're in. Your children did not ask to be born, right? You decided to have them. This was an enormous decision and carries the most amount of weight. You chose to bring about the existence of other human beings. That was your choice. We have to start there. And there are some absolutes. If your children cannot or do not talk to you openly, if they hide, if they keep secrets, if they resist you, that's on you, not on them. If your children shut you out, if they're disconnected, if they distance themselves from you, if they don't trust you, that's on you, not on them. Yeah, but Vanessa, no, there's too many excuses and I've heard them all. With the exception of cults, and cults do legitimately indeed brainwash people, okay? With the exception of cults, if your children do not trust you and do not talk to you at any age, that is on you, not on them. Meaning it is not your fault necessarily. It is your responsibility. Likely, though, something has gone wrong in the relationship. The trust in the relationship has been affected. And this has resulted in a loss of intimacy. There's been a withdrawal. And I guarantee, 
If I sat down in my role as a therapist with any child of any age, they'd be able to tell me what went wrong and why they don't talk to you anymore. There is a reason. Second, so the first is take full responsibility for the role, good and bad. Second, you need to know what your deficits are. What do I mean? We all have relational, logistical, logical, personal deficits, all of us. And if you think those deficits aren't going to affect your children, please wake up. That's what Peck was talking about. Well, you know, our marriage isn't the best, but please just help our, our child. No, no, no. You got to wake up. You need to wake up. You need to come out of denial. Your deficits will affect your children as children and as adults. They will feel it one way or the other. So we need to own it and we need to admit it. You know, I'll give you a very brief example. When I was in high school, and this happened throughout, but it was very memorable to me when I was in high school, I would have play practice and I'd stay after, you know, until five or six. And my mom was supposed to pick me up and I would sit in front of the school. And I remember just being very cold because the plays, they happened in the fall and the spring, but it was New Jersey. So it was cold. Okay. And I would sit out there. It was 530, 6, 630. And then finally my mom would pull up and she was sometimes like an hour late, always like 15, 20 minutes, I would say, but sometimes like up to half an hour, an hour late. And the School would be shutting down and the lights in the parking lot are going off and whatever teachers were still there were like, hey, Vanessa, do you need a ride home? It was humiliating. I was embarrassed and I was angry. My mother was a bit scatterbrained. She could not run a schedule. Okay, I look back and now I laugh. But then it was very disorienting to me because I couldn't trust that she would show up for me. And then I'd get in the car, mom, where were you? And I would get scolded for holding her responsible. I would be punished. Now, what did my heart want to hear? As a kid, I didn't need perfection. I needed honesty. I wanted to hear, honey, I'm so sorry. You know, I know sometimes I don't show up for you on time when I said that I would. And I know that's hard for you. And I'm working on organizing my time more effectively. This has always been a struggle for me. But I really want to improve. So I'm just going to ask for your patience as I work on this. But I am sorry I kept you waiting. That's all I wanted. I did not want perfection. I didn't need it. I needed the wound validated. I needed someone to say, you know what, that's not my strength. So if you're upset about this, you have every reason to be. Okay? As hard as this is, and for parents, you're afraid that you're going to lose respect or you're going to lose authority. If you don't own it or admit it, you will lose trust. And that's a whole lot worse for the relationship. Own what you lack. Start there. Then Listen to what your kids have to say in childhood, in adulthood. Validate their experience. And remember that their experience is not always going to line up with your intentions. You may have lovingly intended a different outcome for a conversation or an interaction or an event, whatever it is. But the kid felt what they felt. And that is their experience. That is their memory based on their emotions, their perceptions. You need to validate that. Just because you intended something doesn't mean you delivered it. That's a fact of life. And here's a big one. Apologize when and where you were wrong. And this needs to be said. You need to apologize. Your role, the imprint, is central. And if you want to continue to be trusted by your children, you need to acknowledge when you've done wrong, what you did wrong, because this is reality. And for relationships to work, they have to exist in reality. And I want to wrap this up by saying this, folks, this is how we evolve. This is how generations heal. 
We don't evolve in denial. We evolve and grow and we mature in the bold and sometimes brutal face of reality, the truth itself. This is how the generations that come after us can become more and more self-aware and not get disconnected from our parents. Before, and I'm from that time, before generations stayed connected because they were family, but they stayed connected in denial. Everybody told the family narrative and it wasn't true. And we have seen, you want to just take a look outside, walk through your neighborhood or read the news. We're seeing an uptick in mental illness, mental distress like we never have before. The times they are a changing and we need to get on board with what is happening. Our current generations are much more self-aware. The way to stay connected going forward is in authenticity and real attachment. Not family, but we don't really know each other. Or family, but we don't even resolve our, our wounds. We don't talk about it. It's actual attachment. This is how we evolve. This is how generations heal. The parent-child relationship is all important and it has evolved. It's now more honest, more real, more trustworthy. Will you be a part of that? All right, let's pause there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all of your positive words. We're just gliding forward into more and more and more countries and more and more plays. So if you would, wherever you listen, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, please hit the subscribe button. That's actually what moves us up the ranks. Hit the subscribe button. And if you would, if you feel like it's worth it, if you feel like I deserve it, please leave a five-star review, write a review. Would love that. And remember, your soul work is to discover who you truly are. You got to tell the truth and learn how to love that human being. For parents, tell the truth. Love yourself, even though you get it wrong sometimes. For children, we're all children. Learn who you are, tell the truth, love yourself enough to keep telling the truth. Till next time. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee and edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Londino and you just listened to the Vanessa Londino podcast.